Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Podcast. My name is Ryan Janke, and I, as always, I'm joined by Pastor DJ Lura and Sarah DeYoung. And today we have a special guest. Back with us is uh, author and a man of many, many talents. You would have heard him on episode 50 of That Podcast when we talked about biblical fiction. Brennan McPherson is back. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hello. Yay! There it is. Woo! I get the fake claps. <laughs> Our studio audience. You know, it, sound, it kind of sounds like either like the the fake horse hoof claps <laughs> or like bad rain. <laughs> bad, bad rain. I like bad that rain. one. So, <laughs> Brennan, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good. Good. My um, uh, I feel better. Good, because um, you've sounded horrible for, for weeks. The, We're getting ready to put you out of your misery. Yeah, the, the last, so um, the last episode uh, sounded like I probably had a stand-in. Um, is this, this is, is the Ryan smoke? Janky with smooth jazz. <laughs> the, the smooth sounds of jazz 105.2. <laughs> Doesn't even sound nearly remotely as cool as it did then. So are you guys dealing with the Canadian fires where you're at, the, the smoke? No, uh, no, we're not. But, you know, there's been this nasty, evil cold. I think that COVID and the flu had a baby. Uh, <laughs> we, like everyone, and I'm no joke, everyone that I knew in my close family, my parents got it, my daughter got it, uh, like five people at my work got it, uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law got it. My sister and brother and their kids got it, like, all at the same time. It was wow. crazy. And uh, after my daughter was getting over it, it was, like, a nasty upper respiratory. When she started getting better, then she broke out in hives, which is, I guess, a common oh, no. thing with some viruses. And then a couple other of the kids broke out in rashes, too. Okay. It's just, like, this evil, evil thing. Yeah. Well, we're dealing with, and again today, so I'm not going outside till VBS nope. is over tonight. I'm just, it, I'm, I'm it locked in. It smells like a bonfire. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's campfire 24-7. It is. It's terrible. And so I have, I, I can share this. I have uh, something called sarcoidosis, which for different people, it can affect them differently. Some people, it affects their eyes. For me, it affects my lungs. So I have these little nodules on my lungs and when something irritates them, uh, they become inflamed. Yep, yeah. they become inflamed. And then I deal with this dry cough for weeks on end. And wow. so I got out in that smoke one day, uh, what, a week and a half ago, yeah. two weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it just about took me down. But And then we said, hey, take a bunch of kids and go on a mission trip for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just uh, we just got back from Minneapolis on a mission trip. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it was it was bad. I'm feeling better now, but yeah, I'm I'm still dealing with the uh, with the effects of it a little bit. That that dry cough that I have going on, but yeah. it's a lot better now, you as you, you can a lot better as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to hear. It's kind of crazy. Whole different person. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, Brennan, uh, you have a book launch coming up very very soon. I do actually tomorrow night. I'm going to hit publish. You are. I got to wait. Okay, so it's called uh, Abram: The Early Years of Abram, Sarai, and Lot. 
And uh, uh, I got an early copy of it. Thank you for that. And it mm-hmm. is uh, it's very interesting, very interesting stuff. It covers um, from, uh, uh, let me make sure I get this right, Genesis chapter 11, I forget the verse, to uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Yep, eleven twenty six to thirteen one. Yes, and so so is this the the Mesopotamia years? Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. So it covers when they're in Ur, and then they move to Haran, which has no relation to the name of Haran, his brother, right? In the original language, confusing. I yeah, think. and then uh, when Terah, uh, Abram's father, passes away, then Abram, Sarai, and Lot move west and south into Canaan and then they go into Egypt to weather the famine and return to Canaan. That's essentially what's covered in the book. Um, so it really is more of like a family saga. It's about the familial relationships and how they all get bound together. Uh, and the, the starting point of it all is Abram's brother's death, Haran, when he dies in his father's fields. And uh, it's all about how that kind of snowballs everything. So, wow. So how do you, how do you research something like that? I mean, you're, you're going back in history, what, 4,000 years. years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so how, is, there, is there certain um, sources that you go to? Or uh, like what is, the, what is the time frame for the research that you put into that prior to when the muse hits and you start putting it to, to paper? Well, I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to cover Abram's story next because I'm going chronologically through Genesis with these novels. So this is book number four in a series. All of them function as standalone books. So you can start with Abram if you wanted. But Abram was the next story up after the Tower of Babel. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to cover it. And I started with studying the biblical text. Um, and Abram's story is long and really complicated and really weird. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, a lot of ambiguity that makes it quite difficult to figure out the actual timelines and um, the relationships between the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Scripture doesn't say um, if Abram is the eldest or the youngest. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, it says in Genesis that uh, that Terah, his father, began to have children at a certain point in time in his life. And then he died when he was, I think, 215. I'd have to recheck it. But uh, when he died, we know how old Abram was. And the span of years between when Terah started having kids and when he died is not the same age as Abram was when his father died. Right. So we know he was not the eldest. (laughs) But the thing is... uh, Traditionally, in the West, like the modern Western interpretation is that he was the eldest, which we know is wrong Mm -hmm. because scripture would be wrong then if he was the eldest. So you have some troubling issues like this that you have to really dig deep into the scripture text to even figure out, you know, oh, wow, the the popular interpretation is actually factually incorrect according to the scripture text. And it makes it difficult to also render a novel that won't make people angry because you, they're you, like, you mean the, the, the three wise men didn't show up on Christmas Eve. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. Heresy. <laughs> you got it. Bible trivia. One point goes to, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy. And it, it, it's, it's a weird thing to have to deal with these things because 
there are so many cultural interpretations of scripture that have become more sacred than the text itself. Mm-hmm. And when you're making things for a, uh, a Christian audience, many times we don't realize the difference. We, we, we can't parse through what is just in our head, in our culture right. and what is actually in scripture. Right. And uh, I made the genius choice to purposely go against those cultural uh, errors. <laughs> That's a good marketing and, uh, choice. <laughs> great marketing. You know, you get lots of one star reviews, which really helps sell the book. Um, a lot of people saying you're a heretic, which is great for self esteem. Yeah. Yeah. You're in good company, um, Martin Luther, John Calvin. Let's see who else. Yes. Yes. But it is, you know, it's, it's frustrating and it's difficult to deal with it because you, you realize when you're writing it, wow, you know, I'm going to get some, some people hitting back at me and how am I going to try to respect them and yet not bend to them? Yeah. Because you want to write something that's true. You want to write something that actually adds value to people's lives and helps them to see the, the, um, the passages from a fresh perspective. You don't want to mislead people. And says, but you also, you don't want people to so hate what you're doing that they don't get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to try and find that balance on. Right. But Well, and in this day and age, um, everyone on social media is an expert after they read it, uh, you know, yes. like a four paragraph, <laughs> uh, blog on, whatever issue it may be. So, I mean, yep. uh, it, it, it's, it, it's an interesting time in that the gospel has become offensive again mm-hmm. in, yeah. in, in a more deliberate way than it used to be, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think it's time for us to just embrace that, uh, that it is offensive and to be honest in that we, our intent is not to offend, but right. rather just to, that we can't help believing and loving God just as much as other people can't help loving other people. Right. <laughs> That's the great irony is like, we can love whoever we want, but you can't love Jesus. Yeah. Or you're, you're a mean person. <laughs> well, okay. It, that doesn't really make sense. You can love whoever you want so, as long as I'm okay with it. Type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's more so in how we interact with people and yeah. how, you know, the, the manner in which the spirit in which we, we respond to the world, which yeah. is, Honestly, what scripture says too, I mean, we're, we're supposed to be, you know, emblematic of God's love and uh, peace and gentleness and kindness. And so you can be strong in your beliefs and gentle and kind. You can be um, loving and not bend, Mm -hmm. you know, these aren't uh, mutually exclusive things. And I think in many ways, our culture is kind of made everything so political and inflammatory that we think that to stand, we have to be jerks, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, it's not true, but it is difficult. You are right. I mean, everything is, is so, everything is so polarizing and I really do feel like an old man, like back in my day, (laughs) we were nice to each other. Yeah, right. We could disagree and not, you know, anyway, but, um, yeah, I, I think that um, you are in good company with with how you are going about this because the gospel is is good news, but often it's our it's our strategies to share it that fall short and can be offensive when they're when you're not trying to be because the yeah. gospel is offensive enough on its own, and so yeah. Um, 
I was reading Luther's commentary based on the Genesis text that, that your, your book is based on. And what you just brought up with the issue of the age, I mean, that's stuff they were struggling with 500 years ago as well. And (laughs) nothing is conclusive when you have the guy who is kind of known for the launching of the reformation and a return to a a, a biblical scholarship, if you will, going, yeah, we can't figure this out either. Uh, (laughs) Is he the oldest? Is he the youngest? I don't know. Uh, And Luther often would say on those type of issues, it's really whatever you, you know, uh, I've heard good arguments on both cases and whatever you think it is, is fine. This isn't a salvation yeah. issue and this isn't a uh, faith issue. Mm-hmm. You can ask Abraham when you meet him, uh, <laughs> when you get to heaven, are you the oldest or the youngest? How's that all work? Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's the important thing that I wanted to highlight with these books is that, hey, we can have actual disagreements because there's not a single person on earth that agrees with another person hundred percent on all of theology and their beliefs on passages. Well, so. it's good talking to you. Uh, <laughs> you're not our kind of Christian. <laughs> I've outed myself as a true heretic. <laughs> Go buy my books. No, yeah, right. <laughs> that's great. You know, I, what, what I've, uh, what I found fascinating was the things that, um, that you don't think of um, that you brought up in your book, like the, the tensions there with, yes. with Abram and Sarai, with, you know, the, the yes. inability to bear a child and things like that. Um, you know, cause it was a long time. <laughs> it was a long time. It was a long time. Yeah. And uh, so I, I thought that was really neat how you dived into that, dove into that and um, um, sort of brought that, you know, hey, this was, could you imagine being yeah. in this situation and, and what she must have felt like and right. and he felt like? It's easy in scripture to just gloss over some of these real, just just juicy nuggets of, wow, this is, you know, and getting, getting captivated by it, that, that the novelization of it, I think, brings you into... Um, where, where you, you, you're immersed in the story rather than just, pa- I mean, scripture often we can pass over these narratives mm-hmm. rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And especially when we read them in church, like all monotone and <laughs> we totally missed mm-hmm. the point. But yeah. with your novelizations, it really brings that out. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because it's sort of like the same, pro- it's the same process that all of us go through when we read scripture, where we imagine what it was like, you know, you read about Paul being imprisoned. And you, you imagine what the prison cell looked like, the smell of it, the, the, the chill of the, you know, cold stone against his back and how they sounded when they were singing and all that stuff. All that is made up, but it helps us to attach emotionally to what's being communicated. Right. And really the process of writing biblical fiction is just rendering that to great depth and sharing it with other people. Mm-hmm. We know that it's not the way that it happened because I made it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet it's helpful for us on an emotional level to, to, to understand the significance and the humanity of all these people. And um, you think about things differently when you go at it from that perspective. I mean, it's like when we watched the passion of the Christ, we thought about Jesus differently Mm -hmm. by watching that film than we normally would. And it's helpful. Um, well, that, mo- that that one is one I can never watch again because it's <laughs> it's literally burned into my brain. Um, the the imagery yes. I can I can walk through the entire passion like ooh ee, yeah. you know yeah, without actually yeah. watching it again. It was that it was that. Uh, it's a visceral. It's a visceral yes. experience. Yeah. 
And I think it really kind of hammered home, literally, the intensity of his suffering. And yep. uh, then you think about it from a different perspective. And obviously, Jesus didn't look like Jim Caviezel. And yet, uh, <laughs> we, we feel after we've watched it that in some way, we've come to understand a facet of Jesus to a greater extent than we hadn't before, at least on an emotional level. Exactly. And for me, you know, in the, the story of Abram, I was so fascinated by the potential of the relationship between Abram and his father, Terah, because scripture says he was an idolater and yes. uh, uh, tradition holds that he sold idols. Mm-hmm. He was, he was a, a peddler of idolatry. That's right. And here his son is serving uh, essentially what people in Sumer would consider a foreign god, mm-hmm. the god of Noah and right. Shem. And that's, that's a really fascinating dynamic because he, you know, Abram was with Terah until he was, what, 65, 75, 65? One of those, one of those decades. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of years to be with an idolatrous father. Yeah. yeah. So what was that dynamic like? What was the relationship like? How did Lot play into it? Because Lot was the son, the son of the eldest son, likely, of Terah. I think so, at least. Um, so what was the, the significance um, of Lot's relationship to his grandfather, Terah, and to Abram. Why did he follow Abram? Why was there this close relationship between Abram, Sarai, and Lot? Um, you know, it's just a lot of interesting open questions. Exactly, so, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, there's there's all manner of opportunities to explore family and family dynamics. And, mm-hmm. yep. and I think it's kind of neat, too, that, you know, this is 4,000 years ago, but is it really so different from the way things are today in families? Well, and it's super interesting because you asked about the research phase. I spent about two months researching both uh, ancient um, Mesopotamia and Egypt. And in this time period, in Ur, they had schools that were teaching, you know, trigonometry, geometry, mathematical brain teasers. They they had poetry, love songs. And there was this one love poem that I read that was talking about fidelity and uh, loving only this one woman, and he wants to be with her forever. It sounded literally like a modern-day love poem. They were, it was it was a very bizarre experience. And, did, know, it say, had, did it say Justin Bieber at the bottom of it, or it, it said uh, Justinius Bieberus, uh, <laughs> two thousand BC? Uh, I think he was related somehow. But uh, they also had things like you know indoor plumbing in certain areas. Yeah. You know, Crazy. it's just unbelievable the the how modern in so many ways their laws were. I mean, women could own property, run businesses. Yeah, they were. You know, it, it's it's a very bizarre time in in culture. We think of them as being so primitive. They really weren't. Yeah, it was it was after. I guess I, I guess I kind of thought Abraham was before, but it was after the law of Hammurabi was established. Is that is that correct? We don't know when Abraham lived. Uh, there's really no consensus on what time period he lived in. But it, the thing is, the scripture text seems to indicate it was during more of the, uh, uh, oh, uh, what is that? The, the time period before Mesopotamia was more organized by kings. It was more by families. Okay. Uh, patriarchal. Yeah. It's, it's more like a patriarchal period. That's what the scripture seems to indicate, which is much older than it's kind of been more commonly interpreted being as. So I, I pictured him as being in an older time period, back when basically the the uh, pyramids of Giza were still being 
made, which is quite a long time ago. Yeah, I'm 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 off by like 300 years. Uh, the, I, I I got that goofed up with um, what came first, the law of Hammurabi or or the Mosaic law. So, and that's that's from Babylon. Oh yeah, yeah. You're thinking of the Mosaic law. Yep, yep. Ruled in central Mesopotamia from 1894 to 1595 BC, and it okay. was yeah. Anyway, whatever. I, I'm off by at least 300 years. You know, there's some people who say that uh, Abram was like in the 1200 BC. It's like what? How could well, we have like a, a millennium yeah. period where he might have lived? It's kind of crazy. But He's things things before 1000 BC get kind of squishy. Yep. So it, it's real. And ancient history is continually being rewritten as they make new discoveries. I mean, there's this big temple that they discovered in Turkey that's the oldest temple in the world. And they're like, I don't know how they made these statues so beautiful. It looks very modern. And yeah. uh, they had to rethink everything that they thought about the ancient cultures. Um, um, I, I watched this uh, documentary like a couple months ago on like it, it's called like the um uh the birthplace of the gods or something like that and it's it's this central location of um in mesopotamia uh that that they've uncovered that they're like this is it, it's the oldest known archaeological site of of pagan religion anywhere and it's basically just like this gigantic open space um and it's right right in that area that, that you're writing about in the Fertile Crescent. So it's just, I, I think I think the topic that you're working with is just such an interesting one. And there's so much that we don't know that it allows for a, a lot of artistic license to to play with yeah. with the best that we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it, it, yeah, and that that uh, place that I was thinking about was called Gobekli Tepe, and it's in Turkey. Mm -hmm. They they say it's 10,000 BC, but they call it the uh, the zoo temple because there's all these animals on the inside. And then there's these two humanoid figures that are facing each other that are headless. And I'm thinking of the it. same place. I'm thinking yeah, of the same place. Ancestral worship. Yes. And the weird thing is they found this and then they found another one un underneath it that had been backfilled carefully. And then another one underneath it that had been back. So they kept building smaller versions of it on top of each other. And yes. it was like a, a weird way to bury people. And then they dig their bodies up and take their heads off and then worship them. It was like an ancestral worship thing. But I just thought it was so interesting. There's one entrance, and then on the inside, it's like a zoo. I was like, well, two people in a little floating, you know, a zoo. It's kind, of, kind, of, kind of sounds like the Ark. I wonder if that's kind of related. You yeah, know, you, you're, you're talking about the exact same place that I was thinking of, too. It's, um, and it's, yeah, in, it's, it's in Turkey, yeah. 10,000 BC. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's neat stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. You had touched on on uh, on it earlier uh, with uh, Tara and and Abram's relationship and how the, I mean in the in the book that relationship is very very strained uh, from right away. Um, I thought that was really neat, um, and I also thought it was neat how you know a lot of times we think of the of of people from the Bible. And as DJ mentioned earlier, you sort of gloss over stuff and you read stuff and you get this idea in your mind that these are perfect people. Mm. And, and reading, reading your book about Abram, you have these things where, you know, it makes, it just makes him more real, like his cold sort of cold shoulder towards Sarai for a while yeah. or uh, the smashing. And how that goes back in the, how that goes back to his mother's treatment of him. Right, right. Or the, you know, when, when he smashed all the idols and then later on he went, 
maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought it was neat how you, how you, you, you made him, you know, he's a real person. Yeah. Uh, Be careful but, not to spoil the entire book. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the, the cliff notes right here, the Genesis 11. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the bad part is Genesis does kind of spoil the whole thing. So three <laughs> chapters, you know, well, might as well throw the book away. So, but it just just sort of those those um, those things that yeah, yeah, he was a real person. Mm-hmm. Who, he was, you know, yeah. And that's that's been the whole goal with this series. I mean, it's called the Fall of Man series. Mm-hmm. I've been fascinated with how all through. Um, biblical history, all of the patriarchs are shown to be intensely flawed people. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them, well, pretty much every single one of them is shown as having like a major sin issue. Um, And that's very purposeful. I think it's important for us to stop trying to, you know, fetishize these characters in scripture to be something that they weren't. They weren't superheroes. Right. They weren't the the people that we want to pattern our lives after. You know, they had elements of their personality that we'd like to pattern ourselves after. Um, but none of them were perfect except for Jesus. And that's the whole point of the gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because sometimes I get reviews from people who are like, you know, I, I don't really want to be like this person. That's not really what I want in Christian fiction. I'm like, well, <laughs> kind of besides the point a little bit but yeah right um, I, 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 I think I, I, I do understand it you know yeah we want people to look up to but the sad reality is that we're all fallen people we've all fallen short of the glory of god you know everyone has sinned not a person on earth has not sinned right and the whole point of it is that there is hope for us. Mm-hmm. And if we can see people who are intensely flawed, who have made immoral choices and God still used them, what kind of hope does that give to us? Exactly. Well, and, and that's kind of the point of, of that's the, the, the continuing point within the narrative of the old covenant or the old Testament is, you know, um, God loves sinners and God works God's will through sinners. And when you yeah. look at when you look at folks in the Old Testament, their failures are an example for us of God's mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. as well as as transformation that God works through people when, you know, I mean, you think about Abram and I hope I, I hope I'm not spoiling anything in your book here, but um, when when they go and they meet um, Melchizedek, it's really kind of this turning point mm-hmm. biblically where Abram's like, oh, maybe this God who's who has promised me all these stuff, and it's it's been 15 years since he made the promise that I would have a son, and I'm 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 ancient, turning to dust as we speak. Um, maybe he and really the way does. Of, the way of women had gone away with Sarai. He's like, oh, I'm not sure how that's gonna work, Jesus. But there's this there's almost like this 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 change in the narrative for for Abram where he's like, okay, God really is really does care about me and re- and is really with me. Um, mm-hmm. At least for me, when I read, when I read the biblical narrative, that's the point when he meets with Melchizedek and yeah. And yeah. So yeah, that's when the promise gets reiterated. And then, and yep. then it's shortly after then uh, when God visits with the two angels that the, the, that's the first time that the promise is explicitly for Sarai, for mm-hmm. Sarah to have a child. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that he, he was, physically present. I mean, they made him bread Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and 
there's only one incarnation, right? Right. So that's that's a bit of a mind bender right there. It was Jesus before Jesus. Yep. Mm-hmm. A prefigurement of the Christ. Um, and well, you and gotta. It have, says, it's kind of like Star Wars. You gotta have the main story out, then you can go back and look at the prequels and be like, oh, right, he showed exactly. up here. <laughs> exactly. Jesus yeah. is popping up all over the place, just like peekaboo. <laughs> Oh yeah, so it was uh, it was just the the blue the blue figure, you know, right? Hologram, hologram Jesus. You're our only. He pretended to eat the bread. Jesus as the emperor. Yeah. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. So, anyways, um, what were we talking about? I totally. I don't know. We're having too much fun. Your book. Yeah. Too much laughter. Too much laughter. So, um, but but yes, that oh yeah, that that was the first time when. Um, Sarah knew that the promise was for her because all that time before then, it was only Abram had, who had received the promise that his child was going to inherit all this stuff. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for Sarah, it's like, well, can't have a baby now. I was barren and God didn't let, let me have a child. And now I'm not even having a monthly cycle. So it's literally physically impossible. And then God comes and he's like, oh yeah, you're going to have a baby. And uh, then she laughs when she hears. And he's like, why'd you laugh? She's like, I didn't laugh. I'm scared. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but you did laugh. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point right there too. That's not covered in this book. That's, that would be the next book. Okay. Um, but the way that God responds to Sarai, to Sarah, you know, lying to his face is by saying, yeah, you lied. <laughs> and then he eats more bread. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yep. It's, it's, just, it's like so a, interesting. That's funny. It's like, a, <laughs> just came to my head. Uh, Robert's in your own Goodfellas. A little bit. Uh, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you did. A little bit. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So um, before I forget, um, yes. I, again, the name of the book is Abram, the Early Years of Abram, Sarai, and Lot. Um, do you want to let everybody know you already said it's tomorrow night. It'll be available. Where is it available? How can people get a hold of it? Yeah, so August 1st is the official launch day. It'll be on Amazon. That's the best place to buy it. Um you know, I'm sad Jeff Bezos got back from space. I thought he was just going to be there forever. But, uh, <laughs> Amazon is a good, good distribution platform. So yes, they are. Uh, especially for us indie indie authors. So, yeah, that's the best place to buy it. And it'll be available in Kindle ebook, uh, paperback and hardback. I'm going to be working on the audiobook, but uh, just one person. Mm-hmm. So it takes a while. <laughs> Recording the audiobook, it's quite a process because it'll be about 12 hours of finished audio when it's done. Wow. This book is about 450 pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, that takes about 20 some hours of actual recording and then about 45 to 50 hours of editing. And then I have to proof listen to it. So it's probably going to be about 70 to 80 hours of labor. Yeah. Wow. It's the audiobook. So you don't think about that on the front end, but um, do it's you, a lot of work to do everything. Do, do you practice dramatic voices beforehand before you start? Uh, I probably uh, should, but I'm too lazy. <laughs> Figure out so, what the voice is going to sound like that you're, you're into. Yeah, yeah. I kind of just make it up as you go along, you know, real professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you work like we do. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> make it we, up. What are we talking about today? I don't know. <laughs> God <laughs> stuff. What's going on? Figure it out when Harris when Sarah hits record. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. So. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, um, sounds great. Yeah, it, it, it is, uh, it's been a a great read and I think it's good for, um, people who, um, don't even know the story at all. 
yeah. you know, getting in there yeah. and, and reading it for the first time, it, you know, you wouldn't have to know the story because right. you, you're getting it all right there as you go. You know, it doesn't hurt to have the backstory, but so. I think it, I think it helps to flesh out, you know, when you're, when you're reading your Bible too. I remember mm-hmm. I was, I, when I was in um, middle school, I can't remember the name of the author. So please, anyone who hears what I'm about to say, look it up and, and figure it out and let me know. Um, but I read a book called Two from Galilee. Mm. And it was the story of Mary and Joseph prior, leading up to Christmas. Okay. And what they would have experienced. And as, you know, a, a kid who's, who'd only heard the story either like from the Peanuts uh, uh, Christmas special, uh, you know, or, or just going to church. You know, you, you learn the nativity story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to 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 read it and to kind of get in that world and discover, oh, these are real people who experience real things was re- uh, hugely um, impactful and, and a blessing to me mm-hmm. at that 12, 13-year-old age. So <coughs> I, I kind of think... Uh, I think about what you're doing, Brennan, and it reminds me of that. You're you're carrying on the story and making it more than just words on in the Bible that you're expected to believe, yeah. and and a really a place to to grow faith, right? So yeah, that's that's my goal. Uh, obviously, other than just uh, making myself more a heretic, I like to actually help people grow in their faith. And uh, I looked it up. That book is by Marjorie Holmes. I thought it was Marjorie. Yeah, I couldn't remember okay. the last yeah. name. Marjorie Holmes. The story of Mary and Joseph, it looks, it looks like a fascinating read. Well, and I ended up reading, she made a whole trilogy of it, two from Galilee, three from Galilee, and the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And three from Galilee is the story of Jesus, the stuff that we don't read about in, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And I've held on to some of that stuff in teaching about what, what this would be like. Yeah. And I think, I think that happens with your books too, is that you're actually teaching people um, about this real-life historic event and what their, what, what their world was like at that time. Yeah. And I think for me, it's been a good process, a healthy process of realizing that we don't have, I don't know, in, in growing up in the, in the West, you know, you kind of you grew up in this culture of ultra certainty where you can know everything all the time yeah. and you should. Uh, but when you really study scripture, the basics are clear, right? We know the gospel. We know who Jesus is. We know God. Um, and we know how to, uh, trust in him and live for him. You know, all that is very, very clear, but then there's so much of the details that are just left purposely ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that, uh, that God even says about himself that we can't wrap our entire intellect around him. He's transcendent. He's above us. He's beyond us. So the intellect is not the end all be all. Mm-hmm in the Christian life or in life in general there in, in so many ways we have to engage him with our imagination because that's the muscle that he gave us to apply to worship. I mean, we, we can't worship him without applying the imagination to who he is. Right. That's the whole point of having faith is applying your imagination to his promises right. and, and saying, I, I trust it. I believe it. I like that. He is who he is. Yeah. Faith is applying so, your imagination to his promises. That's really cool. Yeah. So, so if we don't have a place for engaging scripture with the imagination, we will never live. We'll never live a full Christian life. Sure. 
And in many ways, there's kind of been these weird campaigns against the human imagination. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just like, believe everything you're told because it's true because it is. And mm -hmm. there's no room for doubt because doubt is the opposite of belief. But that's not really true. Right. The opposite of belief is unbelief, right. not, not questions. Right. Um, and you look at all the, the saints in uh, scripture, they had questions and yeah. God answered them. Mm -hmm. God doesn't ever make us believe in something for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He gives us good reasons. And when he leaves things in, ambiguous, we need to not be so prideful that we think we uh, um, can find out the answer to things God wants us to not find mm -hmm. the answer to. Mm -hmm. He leaves things ambiguous on purpose so that we trust in him, so that we rely on him, uh, so that we can't answer every question in ourselves and be self-reliant. And I think that whole tendency that we have to try to understand everything and know every answer leads us away from leaning toward God and faith and trust and leads more toward leaning on our own intellect. No, you're absolutely right. And, and what kind of a God is that if, if there's no, if there's no mystery to God? If you've yeah. And of course, I'm not advocating for like crazy mysticism or not knowing anything. You know, it's important to know scripture. No, but I, it's I, that it's I, that balance. Right. And I, I don't think you're, you're advocating mysticism. I think you're pointing out the difference between a relationship with the creator as the good creation as compared to turning God into a project that you can accomplish yes. through understanding reason and rationality, which are all Western yes. concepts post 18th century and yeah. losing that that connection with, you know, uh, my dad's my dad. I have a relationship with my dad. Uh, I, I'm, I'm bigger, faster, stronger than my dad. And yet I still fear my dad because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he's my dad. And, mm -hmm. and there's a mystery to my dad that I'll never be able to get around or, or, or a mom, you know, that's yeah. if, if you have a good parental relationship, that's kind of what the relationship is like with God. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's actually a, uh, um, uh, the the parent child relationship is a is an image of the greater relationship that's between the creation and the creator mm -hmm. uh, in 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 the intimacy of it. So, um, yeah, in in a way, mysticism kind of treats God as though he's some sort of magical spell book to exactly to control, yep. right? Yeah, and then intellectualism treats God as some sort of giant engine to pull a lever and control. Yes. They're both the same tendency toward pride and control yeah. over a transcendent force. And they're both wrong. Right. And they're very similar to each other. And yet they seem to be polar opposites. And that's the great irony. It's like, no, we're supposed to surrender to God in humility and admit that he's beyond us, seek to understand more of him. But the primary thing is to love and give our lives to him, not to uh, kind of crunch all these numbers and yeah. become this sort of, I don't know, computer, like a binary relationship. It's not like that. It's, it's a, it's a human thing. So, well, you, you hit it. Two different expressions of original sin, uh, wanting to be our own gods by putting God in a box and making him do what we want him to do. It. Mm. Yep. Yep. So we better, uh, yeah, we, we're uh, we're running Follow out of this time. line of talking because we's going <laughs> some, something else is good. Yeah, um, uh, when when I when I introduced you, Brennan, I said that you're an author and a man of many talents. Is there anything uh, I know you have things that you that uh, you probably have coming up? Uh, is there anything that you can share with us that you have in the works? 
Yeah, I mean, most of what I'm doing is just way cool, super real, and uh, much cooler <laughs> than everything we've talked about today. And I promise it'll come to fruition someday. <clears throat> but I, I can talk about a new project that we have. Uh, so my day job, I work for... He's uh, not kidding, called. by the way, folks. He has <laughs> yeah. things coming down. He's, he's going to be very busy for a very long time. Hopefully he lives as long as Abram lived. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> Unless the world keeps getting annoying. But <laughs> so uh, my day job, I, I work for a ministry called the Salvation Poem Foundation. And our goal is to share Jesus with the world through song and story. So we, we craft uh, unusual intellectual property that's uh, globally scalable uh, and, and is stuff that other ministries can use. So we partner with ministries and they use our intellectual property to reach people with the message of Jesus and help them to understand and live in response to the gospel. And uh, one of our uh, projects that we're launching, kind of soft launching in August to our partners is called newbelievercourse.com. And it's a, a set of, um, it's basically video courses that uh, new believers can go through or people who, basically for anyone who wants to understand the gospel to a greater extent and start living their life in, re in response to it and bear better fruit in their lives, that's that's who it's for. Uh, so this first course that is launching is called the Simple Gospel Course. Goes through really the whole of the basics of the gospel as given in scripture. And it's rendered in everyday language. So we avoid terms like uh, sanctification, um, substitutionary atonement, etc. All these concepts are in there, but those things make people's eyes water. And uh, so for, especially for people who are new to the faith, these are just crazy terms. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to even understand what is faith. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You are saved by faith alone. What is faith? I mean, if you ask that question in every major church, you'd have crickets chirping for about <laughs> three minutes straight. Uh, what is faith? Well, faith is trusting the person of God and his promises. And how do we have faith? God gives it to us by proving he's trustworthy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, the work of the Holy spirit inside of us that uh, brings us to regeneration. It's hearing that message and, and he, he conjures the belief in us. It's not something that we conjure up ourselves. You know, sometimes it's, it's treated as though it's some sort of force, some mystical force that we can, we can manufacture in ourselves, but really it comes from hearing the proclamation of the gospel and, um, and trusting it. Uh, so anyways, we cover all these basic concepts in ways that are grounded in, in, in uh, human metaphors um, to help people understand the gospel and realize what the gospel calls us to, the upward call of Christ that Paul talks about, um, so that people can start actually living in response to it and bearing good fruit in their lives. We want to take people from being evangelized to being disciples. So this is kind of a in between bridge resource that gets people into the local church, reading scripture daily, praying daily, and understanding the significance of the commitment that they've made to Christ. So um, it's a globally scalable, white label resource that can be branded to other ministries. Um, it works cross-culturally. Uh, we're looking at 15 languages by early spring wow. and uh, partnering with many ministries. And uh, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, uh, but it's about, 22 minutes of animated video content for this first course. And then all of the text training, you can listen to it in audio format as well. If you're not a reader, 
I know a lot of people aren't readers and uh, in every language that we're doing, we're getting it dubbed. So that means people don't have to read subtitles. They can listen to it in their own heart language. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially when you move internationally, there's a lot of people who are in storytelling cultures rather than more literate cultures. They can read. They just they don't absorb as much from reading as we would, because from the from the get go, when they were young, they learned primarily through stories, through mm-hmm. relationship. And so. Uh, that's why we focus so much on sharing Christ through song and story, because historically that's been the primary way that uh, the, that the gospel has been shared with people. So you mentioned something about this to us beforehand that I, I find I find just brilliant is that um, you know we, we communicate through words, but often we communicate through images as well. And the imagery, yeah. the 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 art, artistry that you have, is not. Um, um, uh, culture specific. So, so yes. anywhere in the world, like, like you said, often the things that we share evangelistically may share the gospel, but it also shares the impression of American culture or, or totally. you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the difficulties with video content is you have people that look like a certain, uh, people group that live in a certain a region with a certain type of income yeah. and um, mm-hmm. that doesn't work when you try to show it to people in Mumbai or you yeah. show it to people in Calcutta, you know, it, it right. just doesn't translate. And uh, when you have complex languages, well, I mean, I, I think about um, alpha, right? Yep. Alpha is great. It's high quality material. It's wonderful. It's helpful. The whole point of it is to give people a space to have spiritual conversations, right? Right. What Alpha does is completely different from what the New Believer course does. Alpha, you play that to people in India, no one's going to sit around and watch it because it's totally unrelatable culturally, Uh, not just because of the skin color, but also just because of the the culture, the way of life, the The way they speak, the the language, everything. And so we worked really, really hard to make this so that it is cross-cultural, but not so vanilla that it's mm-hmm. boring and uh, that's why we went with animation because we could make the skin tones where you couldn't tell what skin color they were we didn't use any sort of uh, imagery of homes of electronic devices uh of things that uh, lock you into a particular culture mm-hmm. um, so instead you know when we talk about the blood of jesus for example we talk about the relationship between um a mother and a baby in the womb. They share each other's blood, but they remain distinctly separate people. The life that the child has is through the life of the blood of the mother. And yet the baby is not the mother. Mm -hmm. And in the same way we receive the life from the blood of Christ, yet we are not Christ. Mm -hmm. So you use these simple human metaphors that translate across cultural boundaries. People are having babies everywhere. I'm pretty sure. So they'll understand, they'll understand that metaphor. Um, so yeah, it, it w- but it was an enormous amount of uh, work to be able to get that working. And uh, luckily we tested it in Africa, India, China, Japan, Central and South America, Eastern Europe, the Western world. And it worked in all cultures. Uh, we're running some pilot programs in India, some pilot programs in um other parts of, of Africa, in the West, and uh, in South America. So um, seems to be functional, and we're really excited about it. So, so great. is there a, a time frame where, like, um, it, 
would the animation video at some point be on be on like YouTube or something like yeah. that for anyone mm-hmm. to see? And when, yeah, when and, and it really, if, if anyone goes to newbelievercourse.com, right now it's functional. You can enter in your email, go through the course. Uh, we're still testing deliverability and making improvements to the infrastructure, but but it's working and you can share it with people. You can, um, all the videos are uploaded as private YouTube links right now, but uh, we are going to be getting it on a variety of different platforms and it's a free resource. So we want to distribute it in as many ways as possible. Uh, so you know, we're, we're looking into partnering with other people who have their own platforms and getting on their platforms and all that. So, yeah. That's so cool. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, do, is there a time frame when that's going to happen or, or is it still in the development stage? Or is well, it really, the, really it's, it's all functional right now. We're working on additional partnerships. We will be working on partnerships probably for the next five to 10 years. Oh, sure. Okay. Continuing to form but if you go to, if you go to new believer course.com, it's there right now. It's there right now. Yes, sir. It's cool. <laughs> what am I waiting for? <laughs> All right. Well, Brennan, I know that you have a, a hard uh, deadline here, so um, we'll wrap this up. Uh, the name of the book, again, is Abram, The Early Years of Abram, Sarai, and Lot by Brennan McPherson. Um, Brennan, I'm, I'm so glad you decided to come back on and share that with us, and, mm-hmm. and I hope we'll have you on again um, when you've got more stuff to come out. Uh, and again, love, folks, he has lots of stuff coming. So hopefully <laughs> speak to Brennan quite often. <laughs> yeah, I'm also actually wanting to do a graphic novel adaptation of one of my novellas. I'm working on adapting it right now. Hopefully that'll become a real thing. I'm excited about it. But it's a, it's a fantasy parable. And uh, I, I really like fantasy a lot. So, Do you find time to sleep? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you do that when you're dead. You're, you don't need that now. You'll get you'll get plenty of that later yeah. on. I'm used to waking up 30 times a night. Yeah, I have a little four year old daughter. Well, and, I was gonna uh, say plus being a dad, yeah, plus yeah. being a husband, plus man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's you know, and one of the things writing has become really difficult to sustain. It, honestly, it really has been because I have this full time job and I write on the off hours, and it's like 20, 30 hours of labor a week just to keep all that stuff going. So I am planning on taking kind of an extended hiatus from writing novels just because this has been a really, really rough year. I lost my brother to the cancer this year, and uh, my uncle got shot, killed in his own home. Um, it, it's been uh, my sister-in-law had, uh, well, there's, there's been a lot of things, and it's just been it's been the hardest year in my life and it's been kind of a miracle that, that Abram has even been finished, come out. I feel really, really thankful, uh, just for the way that I felt God sustaining me through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels like a, just this huge, massive gift. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm a human being and I have felt pretty burnt out. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it all comes down to, it's difficult to find balance. You know, you, you, you have these strong desires to get stuff done, to do cool things, but then you're like, you lose a family member and it all comes back to, am I going to care that I did any of this stuff when I'm on my deathbed? No, I'm not. Right. I'm going to think about my daughter. I'm going to think about my wife, my family. I'm going to think about how much more time could I spent have spent in prayer, enjoying time with the Lord? I mean, there's this uh, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 127. I gotta look it up. Sorry, real quick. Psalm 127, I think. Uh, I have my Bible here. 
You know what I really like about Brennan? I am abstract random also. <laughs> yes. Okay. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Yeah. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Mm -hmm. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I read that um, that psalm when I was like in the midst of major burnout. I was doing like 70 to 80 hour weeks. And I was like, wow, I feel so convicted right now. And, uh, you know, still convicts me to this day. So that's why I have made the commitment to like so just put a pause on writing books for a while put pause on the weekly devotional and everything. Cause I just want to soak up time with my family. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's cool to make things. And yet at the same time, you have to be a person, you know, yeah. you, you have to live under the constraints that God's put on us. We only have so much time, only have so much energy. And uh, it's prideful to think that we can escape that somehow. And it's something that I've continually struggled with finding that balance on, but um but very thankful for how I feel like God has just blessed me during this time. Even though it's been a time of like just great personal calamities, it's also been a time of big blessings in the creative side. It's just this weird kind of uh, paradox. But yeah. anyways, um, do you guys want to pray quick? I just want to – very well said. And thank, mm -hmm. you, thank you for your, for your witness in the midst of all that because that's – um, we, we were talking about witness earlier and martyr, uh, martyr Rios, where we get that term, we often think it means dying for your faith, but it, it's just a word that means witness. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how the gospel is, is spread, is through the witness of, of Christians. Uh, that, you know, to be wow. a Christian is to confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and, and, and uh, uh, you're, you're witnessing to God's goodness in the midst of your burden. So thank you for sharing the gospel and building up our faith through your witness. I learned something new today. Thank yeah. you. That's really fascinating. Maybe I'll end up in a in a in a graphic <laughs> novel or a book someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Let's pray. All right. Let's do that. I'll pray. Okay. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the blessings that that you give us. Um, we thank you for the the balm of healing that you give us in the midst of sorrow. And uh, and Lord, we thank you for our brother Brennan. Thank you that he could come and spend some time with us and share what you are doing in his midst, um, but also share a bit of a bit of his hardships. Um, and Lord, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our peace in this life because of what he's done for our sakes in the life to come. Uh, he is risen, and because he has, death has been defeated. Death has been undone. And that gives us joy uh, and peace while we continue in this life, that, um, that you are good, and um, because you are good, life is good. And so um, as we go from this place, uh, keep that in our hearts and, our, and minds. Fill us with faith in your son uh, and bless, bless the works of our hands that we would uh, be witnesses for you to our neighbors so that they also would receive the good news. Um, again, thank you for Brennan. Thank you for his time with us. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Brennan, thank you so much. Thank and you guys so much. And Gal. 
<laughs> and, and thank you all for listening today. Remember that you can find all of our past content on YouTube by searching Atonement Fargo. You can find services this weekend at atonementfargo.org, atonement.live, and on YouTube by searching Atonement Fargo. That's Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So for Sarah DeYoung, Pastor DJ Lura, and Brendan McPherson, my name is Ryan Janke. Join us next time for another riveting episode of that podcast. <laughs>